going to, you know, there are a lot of like online articles and videos about Lita Health, but I just really want to hear from the horse's mouth, as they say, what Lita Health is and or what you really imagine it to be, because I know it, it goes beyond your initial project, I would imagine. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, first off, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here um, and speak about Lita. You know, Lita was started because of a situation that happened to myself, which was being sexually assaulted when I was a junior in college and realizing that there were a lot of resources that I wish that I could have had that unfortunately I did not have access to or I didn't feel like I could gain access to. And so really what LIDA is um, and, and kind of what our core thesis is, is around access. Um, and the other core thing, which is at the forefront of my mind this morning is around privacy as well. Because you know, oftentimes after a sexual assault, not only do you not feel like you have access to resources um, to help you move forward and, and choose whatever you would like to do. But oftentimes you don't feel like you have privacy, right? If you move forward, um, somebody might know, whether it's friends, family, um, you know, or an administrator, right? You don't want anyone to know. And so what Lita really is and kind of all the products and everything that we're building circles around the two pillars, which is access and privacy in like your college years, right? So you had sort of, you were in school, working, to, progressing toward your degree, and then you, and we don't have to necessarily talk too much in depth about it, but you experience, you know, very triggering event. And then you sort of, you dropped out of college, right? I did indeed. I dropped out my last semester of college, which is really um, when you're trying to prove something um, to your parents is by dropping out three months before you were about to graduate. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I thought, I thought I had done all the stuff that I needed to do and there was something else for me to start working on and something bigger and broader. And I didn't think that university was my way to accomplish the goals. And so even though I had three months left to go and I would have ended up with a college degree, I ended up, you know, at first I called it a break. I was like, I'll go back eventually. And that break has turned into a company. Um, and I have, I've never gone back to college. And I don't know if I plan on it. Maybe one day if I, I want to finish my degree so I could go to law school or med school, you know, to further help sexual assault survivors. But right now, the amount that I've learned running this company has been better than any four-year college degree would have ever taught me. And I think that's what a lot of people are finding, or I, I myself, like in the pandemic, I had to take time off of my very esoteric media, human rights, and entrepreneurship degree, and to actually dive into ecosystems that were, you know, media-based and entrepreneurship ecosystems, and also to just sort of grapple with the sort of like, if I want to advocate for human rights, how do I learn to advocate for myself? Tea into your work, despite, you know, working on such a heavy, heavy subject matter. And I know this is, you know, this is, an interview about your company that deals directly with sexual harassment and sexual assault, but I really don't want it to be just about that, right? Because it isn't just about that, right? So how do you invite levity into your world that can be very, I would imagine would feel very heavy. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Working in the space can be incredibly taxing emotionally. 
um, in a sense, you have to continuously relive your own trauma by helping others process theirs. But at the same time, these experiences and interactions are also incredibly motivating and can be used kind of as a catalyst for hope and perseverance. Um, I think it's important to remember that, right? That these moments are incredibly important, even if at the, you know, when you're experiencing them, they might kind of hurt. And I think one of the most important parts to talk about is the fact that when you do get overwhelmed, it's very important for yourself to not be okay. You don't have to be okay. I think one of the things that my therapist constantly tells me is, um, you know, I used to, uh, pre prior to therapy, I used to say, oh, I'm fine, right? Um, until I realized it's okay for things to not be fine. And it's okay for, you know, for me and for you and for all of us to say, you know what, things are not fine right now. Um, but I think the most important part is to talk about that there is a world in which in the future it will be fine. And so, you know, trying to seek help and support. Um, trauma is definitely not something you want to fight in isolation, but oftentimes, you know, it takes a lot of inner soul searching to try to figure out what is going to be the best way for you to, you know, to not get overwhelmed when it comes to this stuff. Probably every month I have a moment where I want to throw in the towel and I think about wanting to go off to an island and never have to speak to another person. I My newest joke that I've had in the last two months has been maybe I'll just join um, uh, a nunnery and become a nun. I grew up very religious. So I'm like, you know what? They don't have technology. They don't have to worry about this stuff. Maybe I'll just become a nun. That would be easier than running a startup. Um, and I joke, but that's kind of how you feel. You kind of, you know, get in these moments where you're like, I wish I could do literally anything else that wouldn't be as painful or as traumatic. And then I turn to a support network um, that I'm very glad to have, you know, between my investors and colleagues that I work with, and then also friends, right, that I have, um, and my significant other as well. You know, I try to, I try to spread the trauma out. Um, I try not to trauma dump on any one singular person. I try to Instead, trauma dump on a lot of people. Everybody gets a little bit of the puzzle piece and then they, you know, one day they'll all meet up and they'll be like, oh, you know, this puzzle piece, I know this puzzle piece. But I think it takes a village with this type of stuff. And I think to assume that you can take, you know, start a startup and you're, you're going to live in isolation with like one other person is your support network. I mean, that's tough, right? I think it takes 20 people in your, you know, general vicinity who can kind of be there and will all have a different perspective on what you're going to have to do in order to succeed. So how do you count victories too in this space? So it's like you are, you know, as a business, you want to meet your certain metrics, right? But at the same realization, that's what Lauren and I realized too, like, oh my gosh, these posts are doing well. But oh no, that means a lot of people identify with this. <laughs> so it's like, oh no, you're you're your kits have, you know, a lot of universities are subscribing, which is like, yay, but oh no, that means that a lot of people need these, you know what I mean? That means a lot of people need these kits. So like, how do you rectify that? Because it's like, I can imagine like a very tricky wall to walk. I wasn't, it's a tricky tightrope to walk. I forgot the analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, when I first started the company, I think I I didn't think about any of that. And then 
I realized that one day we would be staring at a dashboard of sorts, you know, or, or a pipeline or whatever. And we would see all this, you know, all these kits going out, all, all these services being used. Um, and like, you know, most people, when they're seeing their product being used more, or like daily active users going up, right, that's a good thing. And it was early on in the company that I realized, um, while it is a good thing that people are getting supported, it is objectively a bad thing about the world. But I think kind of how I rectify all of that is acknowledging the fact that even if I was not there, it would be happening. But the only difference is, is if we're not there providing services, no one is getting care and access. So you're not going to be able to build, in my opinion, a product that serves a community that you've never been in, right? Um, or you've never experienced it. And so that's my biggest qualm. And I see that happening with tons of companies is them trying to build, you know, build healing for people that have not you know, kind of understood it, you know, they are not at the forefront of that building. And I think that that kind of what is separates us is we are survivors. Um, we're mostly, we're, we're pretty a young team too. So we've gone through it in the past, you know, couple years, right? So we know it, it's part of our story and it's why we work hard every single day. I love that you guys are built for survivors by survivors. You know, it really just hones in on what you said. Yeah. So, okay, so I think this whole interview has been about thus far about like inviting levity into the work that you do. So how about we invite a little levity into this conversation because it feels very heavy to me, at least maybe maybe just my own personal feelings. But um, so the Lotus flower is known for its beauty, right? And that's the name of our media company, Lotus. So however, it was a flower that had to go through, you know, go through mud in order to grow. So and, you know, a lot of times when we go through things, we can become stuck in the mud, so to speak, and never becoming the lotus, so to speak. And I know you, you've you made it clear you are still becoming the lotus, right? But at least, you, I think your petals at least are peeking out of the mud. Would you say so? Are you, are you not, are you too humble to say that? Oh, uh, you know, I was thinking as you've been mentioning this, I was like, I should listen back to some of the like the one of the first podcasts I've ever done when I first started, because I think I had, um, I think I had a lot more energy back then, where I was like, yeah, we're this, we're that, we're going to change the world. And, and now I'm like, perfectly okay with just, you know, making a, a people's lives better. So yeah, I think we've had objectively some really amazing things that have happened. But I, I think I have been humbled by just how much work running a startup is after, you know, uh, three and a half years going on four years next year to realize that we are, we're not even at like the, the breaking point or the cultural point that we need to be in order to create real change. Not yet. I, and I hope we're at the forefront of that. I want to be at the forefront of that. About just talking about making an impact. What about like the self-impact you made? I want to learn more about, you know, what your inner little, your inner, can't talk right now, you guys, what your inner child would think and what you thought you'd be doing right now instead of starting a startup. Yeah. Um, so like what's next and what, what are the biggest things? Or sorry. <laughs> sorry, that was super wordy, I guess. Yeah, what's next? And then also what you thought you would be doing at this age when you know when you were a little girl. And oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> um, well, not this. Um you know, I think that's actually a really great question because when I, I just spent a few weeks at home with my family 
And I asked them um, if they ever in a thousand years imagined, you know, their daughter to be, to, to be doing this. Of course, you know, the answer was no, but they always knew I was, I was bound for something bigger than the, the very humble beginnings that I kind of started with. Um, when I was little, I thought, and, and I did this up until I was 18, I was an opera singer. I danced ballet. I was a musical theater nerd, I, like, very geeky dancing rehearsals a whole lot. I wanted to go to a conservatory. I, I didn't want to go to a proper college. I basically just wanted to, you know, go into doing that whole life. Um, and unfortunately, when I was around 18, I was, I was diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome that basically didn't allow me to continue dancing. And I had a, I had four surgeries during college, which is kind of insane. Um, you know, to, to put somebody through college and then also like every single break I would, I would be getting surgeries. Um, so, you know, I think it was like this wake up moment, this, you know, yes, I had this dream, but what is a dream? You know, um, I think the thing that I always wanted to do and the reason why I liked being on stage was I wanted to make people happy and performing and making them laugh and smile was a really, you know, it was very motivating for me to see people so happy because of, of art. And I think startup in a way is kind of art, right? Like we are producing art. We're trying to make people happy. We're trying to make their lives better. And yeah, I don't think it's actually dissimilar to kind of how I grew up at all. Totally. There's so much alignment, just like creating a company, doing the branding. It's like art to happen. There's only a few ways to make ideas happen in America. And the biggest one is capitalism. It's like, oh, you just like use what America, you know, runs on, you know, not Duncan, it's capitalism. Um, that, was a, that was a lame joke, but we'll go with it. Um, I, laughed. I laughed internally. <laughs> and, you know, I, there, was a, there was a part of me that thought I could go into academia to do the work that I wanted to do. And then Trump was elected. So, you know, like Trump, Trump was not going to be the, the beacon for sexual assault, I don't think. Um, and definitely, I think all the grants kind of started to go away under that administration. So what were my options other than the private market to make the ideas that I wanted to do come, come to fruition? And so I think that that really was it. It was I was like, I have this idea. I want to make it happen. There's only so many pathways to make ideas happen. One of them is academia. Academia relies on government grants. The government is not going to do anything relating to sexual assault in a time-sensitive manner. So I'm going to have to go about this the other way. Um, and I'm trying to think like what books and stuff like that inspired me, but I, I don't even know. I think I was inspired by you know, the, the early stages of like Uber and Airbnb, which took these things where, I mean, imagine when we were back in middle school, if like we told our like parents that we were going to get in some stranger's car, or go to some stranger's house, right? Like <laughs> culturally speaking, like I would have never, ever in a thousand years been allowed to do that. I wasn't even allowed to walk around the mall alone. So like, you know, I think culturally speaking, I was inspired by companies that took something that seemed so foreign and made it something that we now use every day in which we support sexual assault survivors in whatever they need and and full stop right and we create those resources not based off of what we need but what is based off of what they need and what they've expressed that they need 
And how do you, how did you, and I know I keep going back to the 22-year-old version of yourself, but I think it's really important though, but like the idea that you can't pour into somebody else's cup if your cup is empty. So I really want to, like, how did you like muster up the courage or the healing or the, at least the gusto or for some, like even the mental capacity, like for me, when I was just going through it, it was the spaciness. Like I was visibly just spacey and out of walk and like a zombie. So like, how did you like breathe yourself back to life so that you could then breathe others back to life? Cause I think that's like something that a lot of people don't talk about. Like just the real, the realness of doing the work that you're doing, or even just the realness of existing. Cause sometimes when you have your own happiness, it's like, how do you then say, oh, I have a prescription to your pain? Yeah. I mean, I'm not perfect. And I, I will, you know, be very transparent and say that I've, I've suffered with depression and anxiety, you know, throughout this entire, like, company. Um, sometimes more than others. Sometimes there's good months. Sometimes there's bad months. Sometimes there's months where not only do I want to throw in the towel, but I just, I, I literally don't know how I can wake up and work. Um, there are times like that. It, it, it's not great. And I think what I've realized is you start to get really good at understanding what's going to calm you down and get you back to that place. Like we were talking about, right. Refilling the cup for me, I have, kind of this like set thing that I do, which is I sleep a lot. Like I nap a lot. I'm really good at napping. So good at napping. People are very jealous of my ability to nap, but like, you know, there will be times where I don't feel like I can work and I feel like the stress is too much. And my way of dealing with it is it's going to bed. Just, I go to bed super early, wake up super early. And, you know, sometimes I just need to say, I'll I'll deal with it tomorrow. Right. But I think we need to allow ourselves to do these things that the world otherwise would view unproductive, like sleeping from like 1 to 3 p.m., you know, like in the middle of the day, like who cares? Like you're going to be up later, you know, like giving yourself that time and rest. And if you want to watch TV or be on social media or if you want to you know, do any of this stuff, like focus on what makes you happy and not what people are going to view is like, the, the utmost productivity that you have to have at all times, right? Um, because I think people assume that we're just going to take Adderall and work, you know, 12-hour days and code and code and code and do all the stuff. And you, there are times... Oh. <laughs> I think it works for some people, but... Yeah, but then... About, like, why should we only glamorize that? You know, why can't different things work for everybody else? Why can't we glamorize napping? That's what I would like to do. I'm like, I mean, glamorize the fact that we need to, we need to rest and we need to recuperate and then we need to go fight because in fact, women are, are tasked with doing the almost impossible. Not only does, you know, less than 2% of venture funding go to women founders, but you know, where a lot of, a lot of female founders have children and, you know, they have to be both mothers and founders and, you know, this and that, and we are forced to do 10 times more than any man, you know, will ever do. Um, and we are expected to work the same amount, um, and not get stressed. And then also, you know, 
get canceled for doing things that men do. Right? Like a human, I think. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like we should just flow into our work and like <laughs> that should be the new, I think, social justice warrior. Like, because it's like you can't fight somebody else's fight if you're not happy. You know what I mean? I think a lot of times too, we always jump from like point A to C, like, or point A to B, like, oh, I experienced this, now I want to make sure other people don't experience this without realizing the time between is like when you build yourself up, so then you can be that force for good, so to speak. Or I'm, I'm sort of preaching to myself, because like, if you saw me the, the last three years, the years that I thought that I was supposed to be in college, I don't know if you have this experience, the, the years that I thought like, oh, this is when I'm going to have my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year, it was like sophomore slump, junior I don't know a word that like junior just doesn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> Senioritis, like all of the like isms for the last three years, honestly me. And it wasn't out of laziness. It was just like grappling with life. Yeah. And, and you're going to continue to grapple with life, right? It's not going to end. It's just going to, you know, I think maybe the most helpful thing is understand that it can only go up from here. Um, Right. And so even all the bad things have happened, it's happening because it's trying to teach you a lesson, you know, to help help you move forward. And so there have been horrible things that have happened to me personally, professionally, you name it. Right. And I think it's about bouncing back, but also knowing that it can take time to bounce back. Um, And that oftentimes the world is kind of giving you a lesson 